It's a wonderful evening to be together. I'm looking forward to the ice cream social after our worship services with all of you. And uh, but tonight, we're going to study some in the book of Amos. Uh, we're going to take a look at the book of Amos. And although Amos is one of the minor prophets, he stands very tall as a bold, brave, and effective communicator of God's message. Uh, as we look at this new book, uh, or a book that we haven't looked at together before, I want to talk some about the date. If you look at Amos chapter 1 and verse 1, he introduces this writing. It says, The words of Amos, who was among the sheep herders from Tekoa, which he envisioned in visions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. You know, that's interesting that, he, uh, that the, the time is marked especially by a major catastrophic event. And we still do that even today when there's a, a major happening like 9-11. You mark time by it. You could say it was two years after or a year prior. And we would know exactly when that was. It gives us a place to mark it. And that's what they did here. Not only does he mark it by the kings, but he also marks it by a major event. And based on all of those, uh, it's been determined that Amos prophesied around 760 or 750 B.C. And that probably doesn't mean much to you. And so I'll tell you who he prophesied around. He prophesied during the same time as Jonah. And then just after Amos, you have, you have Hosea the prophet. And within a hundred years of Amos' prophecies, you find not only Hosea, but also Isaiah and Micah. All of those prophesied very near to each other on the timeline of biblical events. The name Amos means burden or burden bearer. And that's what Amos did. He bore a burden. And he bore it to the people of the northern kingdom of Israel. He bore a total of eight burdens from God. Eight judgments on eight groups of people. The last of which, as I said, concerns Israel, that northern kingdom. And this book is set up in an interesting way. It's set up almost as a bait and switch. You recognize how that uh, the telemarketers and people like this perhaps will set you up in the first few minutes of their broadcast and then they'll switch to what they really want to talk about. That's what Amos does here. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But tonight we're going to look at who Amos is, the mission he was given, what it teaches us about God, and then we're going to end by applying the character and mission of Amos to our own mission which we've received from God. Because he teaches us a great deal about who we ought to be and what we ought to be about in our life. And so Amos, uh, asking the question, who is he? Amos, in the first, first verse of the book, was a sheep herder. Lived in Tekoa. That's south of Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah. That's where he lived. That's where he made his home, is in the southern kingdom of Judah. I turn to Amos 7, verse 12. Amos 7, and, uh, and we're going to take a look at his reception and some of the things that he says. Amos 7, verse 12, you've got uh, a priest of Bethel. 
in Israel. That's a, the high place or the, the place of worship that they set up for themselves because they didn't want to go down to Jerusalem. And so Amaziah is the priest of Bethel. And in verse 12, he says to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there do your prophesying. But no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it's a sanctuary of the king in a royal residence. And then Amos replied to Amaziah, Note this, note what he says. I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I'm a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. And so when Amos goes up to Israel, the response he gets after he's giving his message, the response is, why don't you just go home? Why don't you go back to Judah and do your prophesying there where people will like what you have to say? We don't want to hear what you have to say here in Israel. But Amos's reply reveals a very humble mindset concerning his work, concerning his mission. He doesn't consider himself a professional prophet. That's why he says, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. Some of these guys are professional prophets who are prophets their whole life. And their fathers before them and before them. He says, I'm not that. I'm not a professional. I'm just a herdsman. I'm a farmer. And he didn't choose this mission. He didn't choose this message. And he doesn't have the authority to change anything about it. That's why he says, the Lord took me. He's placing the authority in the hands of God. Because God is the one who took him. God is the one who sent him where he is and gave him the words that he's saying. As we get to know Amos, we can't help but see the details of his mission as well. He's a southerner who went to the northerners. A confederate who went to the Yankees. And he has to tell them all the things they're doing wrong. How's that going to work? Not so well, right? And it doesn't work well. It works terribly. He doesn't get a good reception up there as we just read. He's a southerner sent him to the northern kingdom to proclaim God's judgment on them for their sins. But he accepted that mission. And he didn't accept it because he thought he was qualified. He didn't accept it because he thought he had some merit of his own that caused God to choose him especially. He accepted it because God said, go do this for me. How would you respond to such a mission? How would you respond to such a difficult thing? The book of Amos takes on a new light when you understand who Amos is and how he came to be a prophet. He's the everyman. He's not a professional. He's just a guy. And when he's insulted and sent away, he stubbornly continues speaking because God sent him. Let's look at Amos chapter 1. Amos chapter 1. And I want to show you the, the burdens that he brings, the pronouncements of judgment on these various peoples. If you look at Amos chapter 1, you have listed very quickly seven of the eight judgments that he brings. From chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 6, you have seven of the eight. And you know the last one comes right after 
Amos 2 verse 6, that's on Israel, the people he's speaking to, and he spends the rest of the book on that one. And so take a look here. Uh, you've got in verse 3, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. You're going to see that same line eight times. And so I underlined it in my Bible because it's very important. That's his transition to a new judgment. The first one is on Damascus in chapter 1 verse 3. The second is in verse 6. For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Verse 9. For three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Verse 11. For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Verse 13. For three transgressions of the sons of Ammon and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Chapter 2, verse 1. For three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Verse 4. For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Now you catch that. Right before he gets to the, the big whammy, Right before he gets to the big moment, he says something about Judah, that southern kingdom. And that southern kingdom would have been the ones that Israel wanted to hear most about. Because they probably wouldn't have liked them very much and would have loved to hear that they were getting judged by God. And so everybody's ears perk up in verse 4. And then in verse 6, for three transgressions of Israel. And for four, I will not revoke its punishment. And unlike the others, he doesn't spend just a couple verses on them describing what they've done and the judgment that would be brought, but instead he spends all of the rest of his time talking to them about all the things they'd done and all the reasons they deserve God's judgment. These eight judgments from God teach us a great truth about our existence and about God. These other peoples, the sons of Ammon, the Tyre, and Gaza, and Damascus, they all had their own gods. They all had their own, own people that they served, and, and they figured if judgment would come on them, it would certainly come from their own gods, and not from some foreigner's god. And if, if Amos was to bring them this message, their response would be, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? We have gods and they haven't pronounced judgments on us and certainly they'll protect us. Who are you? The answer is he's the only God that exists. He's the God of all the peoples, not just of a few. And these nations, and in our day, the other religions that we see, those who serve Buddha or Allah or Zenu. Did you know there's Zenu out there? That's the Scientology people. They believe in Zenu or any of the hundreds of gods served by the inhabitants of India. All of them will in the end be judged by the one and only true God of all people. And perhaps they will wonder, who are you to do that? And then they'll find out. They'll find that all those others they believed in were false gods who exist only in a vegetative state. Now it's necessary for us to apply the person and the mission of Amos to our own circumstance today under the new covenant. And this I think is where Amos becomes very real. 
and very, very applicable, not just because of what's in his message, but because of who he is as a man. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, we have that very familiar passage, the Great Commission. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We've been commanded to make disciples of all the nations. God is over all the nations. And part of the covenant every Christian has made with God is the affirmative answer to this particular command. Jesus says, make disciples as you go through life. As you go through life. And as we rise out of the waters of baptism, our answer is, yes, Lord, for the rest of my life. I think the devil has gained a major foothold in the church about this particular issue. I think he's gained a major foothold. He's taken the truth of 1 Corinthians 12. Another familiar passage, correct? 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of the body of Christ and how all of the different members, though they're different and all do different things, work together to form the complete and fully functioning body of Christ. And what a beautiful truth that is. And we see it and we experience it. But the devil has taken that and just twisted it a hair. And has caused many to believe that the spreading of the gospel is one of those gifts that you may or may not have. Jesus commanded every Christian. He commanded every Christian to go and make disciples, teaching the lost all of His commands. His command extends to every Christian who will ever be made. And it's not an option to ignore it. No matter what problem we may have in carrying it out. And sometimes a person will say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a preacher and I'm not an elder. Amos has the answer to that problem, to that objection. Amos's answer to that objection, that I'm not a preacher, I'm not an elder, I'm not a leader in the church. Amos replied to Amaziah, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, but I'm a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. That's Amos chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. You're right that you may not be a preacher, you may not be the son of a preacher, but God has called you to spread the message of hope in His Son to all people as you are doing whatever it is that you do. And that's an important difference between us and Amos, is it not? 
Amos was the, uh, the sheep herder and the farmer, and he was raising his crops, and God took him away from that, sent him over to Israel. And while he was there, he spent his time prophesying, and he wasn't back in Judah doing his farming and his sheep herding. God gives us a slightly different command today. He doesn't command us to, you know, if, if you're an accountant, He doesn't command you to stop being an accountant and go and preach His Word full time. That's not the command. If you're a, a cashier or, or a store clerk, He doesn't tell you to stop being that and, and go preach His Word full time and, and hope you figure out a way to support yourself. He doesn't do that. Today He's taken His message and His command a step further into our life. He doesn't call us out of our life. He calls us while we are yet in it. While we are doing the things that we're doing, what profession do you have? What job do you work? Are you retired? Well, what places do you frequent? Because God calls you in all of those to spread His message. He has given you that command. And it's our responsibility to bear the truth of the gospel and present it to the lost. And how they respond is entirely their decision. But we have been called by God to spread and share that gospel. And we don't have the authority to change that mission. Preacher or not. There was a, a time in preaching school... They do a thing called campaigns, and that's where you go to a congregation of the church, usually a smaller congregation, and you help them put on, let's say, a door knocking campaign or a gospel meeting or something like that to reach out to their community and help that congregation to spread the word. I went to the Navajo Reservation in Arizona. It's a lot of red dirt there. A lot of plateaus, very dry, and everyone is red-skinned. Everyone is Navajo. Most people only speak Navajo. And I'll tell you one thing. We were sent out into that community to knock on their doors and to invite them to a gospel meeting that was being held that week. And unless you were Navajo, they might even peek through the blinds so that you could see them and just snap them shut again and walk away. Do you know what that's like? That's terrible rejection if it happens once. We went through that whole community. And nearly every single time, unless we had one of the Navajo members with us, it was peek through the blinds, snapshot, and not another word. Rejection is difficult to face. And after that day, not many of us were feeling very good about ourselves. Knowing that you might make contact with thousands of people and perhaps three or four will be converted to Christ is a hard mission to accept and carry out, but we must. 
It's what we have been called to do. Our results may be like ours over at the Navajo Reservation was. Maybe very slim. But we must carry out our mission. And that's because there's a label that's thrown around at Christians. At us. And it's thrown at us because we tend or or we carry out the word of God very strictly. We obey it. We listen to what it says and we do it. We're very strict and we teach very, very clearly and very forcefully on exactly what the Bible says for us to do. And then we follow it. And the term that gets thrown at us is the term Pharisee. And I want you to know something about the Pharisees. Because a lot of times that's thrown around because we teach very hard things. And we're very strict about what the Bible says because it's what the Bible says. But take a look at Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And come down to about verse 30. Jesus has just said that in verse 28, I say to you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But notice the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. They rejected God's purpose for themselves. Did you know that when the Pharisees were refusing to be baptized with the baptism of John, that it was actually God's will that they should be baptized? And that that was His purpose for them. That was, he had a whole plan lined out. If they would have done that, the things, it would have worked out better for them. But, but they rejected His purpose for them. God has a purpose for us today. A modern Pharisee, a modern Pharisee is a Christian that absolutely refuses to speak of their faith. Absolutely refuses to speak of their faith. It's a Christian who has decided that they will ignore souls because of the way that the people look, where they're from, what sort of sin they're involved with, or whatever else may be offered. But then they still attend and offer worship Sunday and Wednesday. That is a pharisaical mindset if there ever was one. God has a purpose for us. And the purpose is far greater than being here together today. Although this is part of His purpose for us. His purpose extends into your life. It extends to be your life. As you are living it. In Matthew 28, 18. Jesus spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What authority will you claim to disobey the command of the king of everything? You realize there is nothing else beyond that. He's the king of everything that there is. He has all the authority. 
And we have no authority to reject or disobey His purpose for us. We must not reject God's purpose for ourselves. We must adopt the character of Amos, who was just a normal guy. He was an average Joe who obeyed the voice of God when he heard it. You realize that everyone's just normal? All of us here, we're just normal people. I think. Any superheroes? So we're all normal people. And if we want to be faithful to God, we need only accept and obey His mission which He's given us. That as we're going, as you go about your day, think about the souls that are around you. And share your faith with them. Speak of it to them. Let them see it. Christians, don't let Satan deceive you into thinking the gospel is not yours to share. Jesus has entrusted His word of hope to you and to me. And each of us are on the same mission from God. To seek and save the lost through the power of the gospel. And so if tonight you recognize a pharisaical trend in your life, you can change it. Accept God's purpose for yourself. As you're going, as you work, as you play, as you enjoy this life and all of God's blessings in it, make disciples for Him. Share the gospel and share your faith. If you're not a Christian today, you're among many who care for your soul and who do not want you to leave this place without knowing that Jesus can save your soul. Jesus is the Son of God. He lived the only perfect sinless life and He died on the cross in your place and my place so that your sins could be forgiven through His blood. And after three days in the tomb, He rose again and now continues reigning as the King of kings at the right hand of God. If you believe that message and you're ready to turn from your sins, we will hear your confession of Jesus tonight. And we will baptize you in water where you will make contact with the blood of Christ and be forgiven of all your sins. And you'll be raised out of the water to walk a new life. A life dedicated to God. And so tonight, if you have a spiritual need, we're inviting you. And we're inviting you to make it known by coming forward as we stand and sing.